Welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Clean Tech Talk. My name is Scott Cooney, and I will be your host today as we discuss innovations and trends in the home solar market with Marcus Jew, who is the co-founder and the chief learning officer at EnergyPal. Marcus, welcome to Clean Tech Talk. Excited to be here. So first question, I, I checked out your LinkedIn profile and you're marked as the chief learning officer at EnergyPal. What, what exactly does a chief learning officer do? And as the co-founder, I imagine you probably were able to position yourself into the role you wanted. So you probably chose it for a reason. Yeah, yeah, for sure. When you're a co-founder, you, as companies are building, you play lots of different hats as things go. You know, the, the chief learning officer role, it's really head of learning and effectiveness overall. You know, our business, we help, we're essentially a technology-enabled human business, right? We help people and we're a whole bunch of people doing it. We have a great technology. We have lots of markets we're in, lots of areas, lots of systems, lots of processes, lots of products. And so essentially my function is collecting all of those different approaches and making sure that any person in the organization is enabled with the right information, but also how to and when they should apply whatever knowledge they have to their fingertips. So it's it's just making them overall more effective in how they talk, how they operate, and making sure we're capturing that information in a landscape that's constantly changing, which as you can imagine, can be challenging when you're in 44 states and three Canadian provinces. So it's it's a lot yeah. of stuff. Yeah. It's a lot to stay on top of for sure. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, employees need that stuff and obviously your customers will need that stuff. So yeah. it's kind of, kind of a cool role. So I think it's yeah. something I would, yeah. I would definitely enjoy too. I've worn every hat at clean Technica. I'm, you know, founded clean Technica and I, mm -hmm. I am currently the chief operations officer, but I, I think I've worn every single hat at this right. company yeah. and, you know, but I've never been the chief learning officer. So maybe there next year on my LinkedIn, you'll, you'll there see you that. Go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it's a great spot to be in. How's that? No, I, it's, I think it's, 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 it's really <laughs> You know, for us, that's the uh, a big part of helping people go solar is also educating them. And a big part of educating them is making sure that our people are educated and are experts. And so, you know, our team, just the model, and we, we'll get into it later, but our model is a lot more complex than a traditional solar company. So our, our sales reps, our qualifying team, like our teams have to be much more enabled than, you know, if they were like a door knocking crew selling underneath one company or something like that. So it's right. it's definitely a very different level of uh, knowledge and expertise that's needed. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The door knocking is of course important and, you know, whatever, but you want those people to have like one or two talking points and <laughs> stick to their script and just get the information. Yeah. That, that, that's it. Just yeah, don't, exactly. So yeah. don't try to be an expert in everything, pal. <laughs> right, right. Cool. Well, you know, and and your, your background is cool. And, you know, I want to, I want to like, Obviously, position you that you, you've been working in home solar for more than a decade. I, I want to hear about your journey a little bit. One thing I saw on your resume was that you worked at one block off grid, yeah, which is you know, we called one bog. Yeah, exactly. I remember, I remember seeing a literal paper flyer on my door in San Francisco <laughs> from one bog. Yeah. And I, I nice little plug it. guy, right? Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, 
plug for years it. ago or something, yeah. but yeah, I, um, and I don't remember what it looked like. I just remember the, the name one bog and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the concept is cool. So the concept, you know, obviously if you can batch a purchase of solar panels for an entire block of people, you get all your neighbors going solar and then boom, you get this whole block that's off. Yeah. And, and, I, yeah, and, exactly. I, and I love that. That's, yeah. that's, it's great. So tell us. It was kind of like, it was kind of like a Groupon at the time. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah you know, that totally. was Groupon was huge back then. And it was it was kind of blowing up and it took that time. It took that same model effectively. Um, yeah. But and hyper localized it. So you could yeah. like talk to your neighbors about home solar and yeah. stuff like that, which is which is really cool. It was innovative. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, honestly, back in the day we needed that in the home solar market because the prices were still high. And, yeah. you know, the technology was is not anywhere near where it is today. Kind of still needed, I think, too. But, you know, yeah. It's, uh, uh, but but yeah, I hear you. Every um, tool in the tool bag, you know, it's we gotta use it. Well, cool. So tell us about that experience and then the rest of your journey that ultimately got you to found uh Energy Pal. Yeah. So it's definitely interesting. So I have a um, you know, one block off the grid was a really interesting, cool company. Uh, but kind of before that though, I had gotten into solar actually while I was still in university. I had really gotten interested in project finance. I just thought it was really interesting that you could come up with this idea to finance something and be able to use the idea to get the funds to then actually do the project. And so you didn't have to be some wealthy, you know, work in your balance sheet, go to a bank, ask for money. And they say, well, how long have you been in business? Like, you know, I always had this entrepreneurial mindset from the beginning. And I was like, oh, this is great. You could just have a great idea. Saw how people, you know, when power got deregulated, how that basically the project finance was essentially the method to build new coal plants and and electric plants and thought, well, we should do this for something that is maybe less destructive for the planet and maybe more more better. So and it just worked out that at that same time, and I was going to school actually in Canada, up in in, in Toronto. And at that time, the Ontario launched uh, this Green Energy Act, and it was a feed-in tariff program, very successful, lots of contention around feed-in tariffs overall, but it was a great program that sort of launched. And I was like, what, what a cool idea that you could like, what if we did this? You know, you, you had the government giving a 20-year, 80 cent per kilowatt hour contract guarantee. What if you came up with this idea to, you know, rent people's roofs and then give them a proceed and share in the profits, but got solar and they didn't have to pay for anything. You could just leverage the roof, which wasn't doing anything. Cool idea. All of my students, you know, friends were like, that's a stupid idea. That's ridiculous. And then lo and behold, this other company, Pure Energies, would actually had was doing that and had built a fund, was going through the process. Like, I got to work there. So I just started working there and just basically right into inside sales. And then and then I graduated. They actually had acquired one block off the grid and I'd moved down to San Francisco to help with sort of reshaping those operations and sort of building up the company. And one block off the grid had a very interesting model, um, very similar to how EnergyPal is, is that it Initially, it was pulling a bunch of people together and coming up with a discounted sort of deal with with one installer. But then they found they had some buying power, right? Some negotiating power with the installers. So mm. started partnering with other installers to cover different areas and ultimately became kind of like a marketplace for different installers. So one customer could come and get multiple different quotes. It's a very effective model. And uh, you know that company... One block off the grid and pure energies as one entity then got acquired uh, by NRG back in 2014. Um, so it was a wild ride from like a team of six to growing a company that got bought out for, you know, by a, you know, Fortune 100 company at the time. It was a bit of a wild ride. 
That's awesome. Okay. And then yeah. how did, where did energy pal come from? What, uh, what was ultimately. So our whole expertise in one block off the grid was essentially fitting into the customer acquisition segment of the market, right? It's like, how do we acquire customers, keep them, make sure they get installed, work with installers in a way that worked. And we were able to do that very well, better than many of the other companies. That's why they would essentially farm their sales and project support to us at the time. We sold the company, many of the partners and people left and did you know they all did their own thing. That integration, I don't know if you've ever been a part of a integration of three companies trying to form a new division inside of a big corporate entity that is publicly traded, but it didn't go so well in, in terms of, yeah, it didn't go so well in terms of its ability to work, right? There was a lot of conflicting interests and it was a, it was, <laughs> it was a lot. So um, it became very clear that like that wasn't going to work um, under that leadership um, with that structure with those incentives. And so, you know, I ended up moving, doing some consulting projects and things. Then a couple of former one block off the grid and pure energies, you know, colleagues of mine, we sort of came back, we looked at the market and it had gotten worse. Like finding customers was more expensive in 2015, 2016 than it was in 2014. Like the marketing was broken. The, the ads were all misleading. The salespeople were still knocking doors overcharging people you know people in california would get prices and there'd be like massive ranges of like twenty thousand dollars for the same stuff and we're like well this is still very much broken and there's still this big hole for consumers to have a reliable experience good experience great quality products with a great price and it just doesn't exist in a consistent way and we're and, and we're like we know how to we could scale this up of course it's much harder than you think to build a business but that's the sole, ultimately was the reason uh, why we jumped back into uh, into the market, and and really pulled together the best of the best in terms of the sort of marketing, sourcing, lead gen, that process, and then our expertise, which is really the product and installer, working with different installers and managing the sort of customer experience all through a digital model, turned out worked pretty effective when COVID hit, and we were really well positioned because that's all we've done. We we've never really done the door knocking. We're not. We don't really believe in that model of having mobilizing troops of some very, very skilled and some just uncontrolled reps that say whatever they need to do to make their money, right? So yes. yeah, we just don't think that's the right approach to helping people go solar in a scalable way that's going to reliably give them that great experience. Yeah, it's really challenging to align the incentives all along the the decision to go solar for, for a homeowner, you know, yeah. the, the door knocker and the marketer and the contractor and everybody's got the installer, the financer, you know, everybody. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so it's, it's, you know, to get every, all the incentives aligned and then also treat the homeowner with the respect that they deserve too. Obviously, yeah, maybe call them right about, Hey, yeah. this is what's happening with your project and this is what's going on. So yeah, it's just very inconsistent. So that's the model yeah. we've built. I think we've done a really good job. We were, I'd say the highest rated, you know, if you Google rated company, cause we, you know, we're not, not every project's going to go smoothly. Right. Not every it can't. It's just it's there's too many moving parts, but just a numbers game. But I think it's how you approach those problems, how you put systems in place to mitigate them and also how you make sure that you can grow effectively. Right. And and continue sort of building. And and I think that's where uh, we've done a pretty good job at, you know, we're not perfect, but working on it. My my motto is don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. If you're doing good, keep doing good and try to keep yeah. getting. Yeah. Try yeah, to keep getting good. better. That's a good so, motto. Know, continuous like improvement. I, it's, you know, there, there's nothing else to do. If you try to get yeah. perfect, you'll just do nothing. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. Let's dive in. There's there's so much home solar, such a fun topic. So let's dive right in. Hello, clean tech enthusiasts. If you enjoy clean tech talk and clean technica, please consider pitching in a few dollars a month at cleantechnica.com slash support. That's cleantechnica.com slash support, where you can sign up in seconds with a credit card, pitch in a few dollars a month or whatever you like. Some people actually contribute a hundred dollars a month to help us cover climate change and clean tech and try to help the world one word at a time. Thank you. I'm curious your thoughts, what you're seeing in terms of where the market is currently. Well, currently, as in essentially the beginning of 2024, you know, end of 2023, I'd say it's doing not so great uh, overall. You know, this the 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 interest rate increases plus essentially like the 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 gutting, and I'm sure you've covered this, right? The the gutting of the incentive for many people to go solar in California and sort of the adjustment. And and all the blowback that's meant, right? Like it, it still makes a lot of sense for people to go solar in California, but there was a big change that happened, you know, last April um, that that really changed the trajectory of the industry and then had a lot of interesting impacts of what that meant for other parts of the industry, you know, other parts of the United States as well too. So I'd say it's not doing great overall, and I think that uh, there's a lot of companies that are having a lot of challenges. Yeah. And we've seen obviously in the stock market, you know, Enphase and a handful of other publicly traded solar companies have have had a rough year. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, is what it is. Okay. And then, you know, what does your sort of crystal ball say about where it's going? Have we, well, have we think, hit a rock bottom or, or I, I, I think so. I think so. Yeah. What, you know, there's a definitely different installers, different groups, you know, you'll hear of some uh, inst- big, larger, uh, you know what I actually think. So I think that the large national, you know, grow, grow, grow. I want to go public type of installation companies. I think those companies are having a really hard time because they've been focusing on the growth and building market share and, they never really probably shored up their operations in a way that worked well because they're they're reaching for this next stage. And then now, essentially, with the market, the, the public markets sort of pulling a rug underneath them, you know, they're they're like, oh, wait, hold on. We were really kind of hoping for that. So I think those companies are having a lot more challenges. I think the regional, the sort of the mid-sized companies are doing okay. And I think the really small companies are are not also doing fairly well because they were really reliant on the financing options and they there's not that those options have adjusted and, and have changed in terms of, you know, not all the financing companies want to bring on new installers because they also have been burned too, you know, from, so it's, it's, it's tricky for the small and it's tricky for the super large. And I think the mid range, the mid sized companies, like, you know, installers that, that span a couple of different States, a couple of different regions that have good solid operations that, you know, those, those teams are doing great. I think, I think it, yeah, I think overall it's the 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 picture looks good moving over the next couple of years. And something that we've noticed is that the the demand for leases, PPAs, like power purchasing agreements, third-party owned financing is really taking off for sure um, in this climate right now. Not a lot of people are taking on large loans and large, you know, debt to to finance their solar and and not a lot of people are looking to drop all their, you know, life savings on it either right right yeah. so so with the you know the battery tech home battery technology getting better and better it it's it strikes me that we we're seeing a little bit of a shift in consumer demand around solar 
where I think in the beginning it was, you know, you could say the grand majority of people would go solar because it was a surely a financial decision. It was something mm -hmm. that they could do and they could see an ROI on, especially, uh, you know, we've talked about the 15 cent rule when, mm -hmm. you know, utility rates get to 15 cents, then solar really pencils very well. If, you know, mm -hmm. below that it's less, but in those mm -hmm. places where it was kind of hovering around that or getting a little higher than that, mm -hmm. home solar made a lot of sense. So I think at the beginning, it was a lot of that with, with the, you know, with the batteries now, I'm curious your thoughts with regard to why people are going solar now, what percentage are just doing it because it's a good financial decision and what percentage are doing it because it's resilience and they want energy security during storms. And then what percentage of people are just doing it because their, their kids are like yelling at them to do something about climate change. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would say it's super market dependent that like that battery attachment rate, you know, pre this change in net in California, you know, batteries were maybe 20, 30% of projects we were doing post it's like 95%. Almost every project has a battery uh, because of the way the incentives, it sort of makes it economical, but we are definitely, I agree. They're, we're definitely seeing a, a, a much bigger like attachment rate of people who want to add batteries to their solar systems in markets that still have like a good net metering program. So, I mean, I think a lot of it is, is because of the resilience and a lot of it's because the technology has gotten to be real, you know, I don't, the prices haven't really come down dramatically, but the technology has just improved a lot, right? So yeah. batteries two years ago, really hard to, to, to work with, hard to connect, very convoluted, different systems with different inverters and different batteries and management. And, you know, but now you have battery systems that can like connect to like a generator, connect to your home maybe replace the need for, you know, a lot of times people, they need to main, upgrade their electrical system, their main panel when they go solar. And some of the battery technologies nowadays can kind of do that for you so that it sort of avoids having to do other investments and you can make it make sense economically. And in a lot of areas where there's really fluctuating cost of power too, like Texas, for example, we're seeing a, a much bigger demand for batteries because of these crazy heat spikes that's been going on. Yeah. So you have these crazy spikes the grid is the wholesale cost of energy goes up to $5 per kilowatt hour, which is like 5,000% more than that than average. And people with batteries are able to to export their battery power back to the grid and essentially yeah. pay for their whole battery in like three days. Right. So there's, there's really interesting things that are happening where the economic conversation with batteries are there. I, you know, the, for resiliency and power backup, like at the end of the day, the grid is still so stable that, most people aren't willing to to shell out the cash. And, you know, the question we typically tell people is like, if you're, if your power outages are like a 600 to a thousand dollar a year cost for you, then you should probably get a battery. But if it's not, and it's more of a nuisance and thing, then like, it's not gonna, you're most likely gonna not do it realistically. Right. Because right. you're like, well, you know, I could also just, anytime the power goes out, I could go to a hotel or something or, you know, do something else with that money. So right. um, I, th I still, I think at the, maybe this is the business econ person of me, but if it doesn't make sense financially, it usually doesn't, the demand doesn't hit to a point where it's worth doing, you know? Makes sense. Makes sense. So, so the number of refrigerators full of food that people lose mm -hmm. really, really plays. Or your, or your lost income from working from home. And the fact that now you, you know, you can't yeah. run your, you know, your zoom meetings and things like that. So that conversation is a bigger part of the battery conversation or people with wells and, you know, they have it for like yeah. their water supply or their medical devices. 
you know, that right. type of stuff is, is really why people are getting batteries in markets that don't, that have like one-to-one net metering. It's much more of like a backup conversation where there's complicated, you know, essentially areas where utility companies don't like solar all that much, or the, the policy isn't as favorable, like Texas and parts of Arizona and California now, you know, you need the battery for the economic argument as well. Makes sense. And, you know, there's, there's so, there's so much, there's so much innovation and people are talking microgrids, it's, you know, a lot of exciting technologies out there and energy security is a big buzzword. Resiliency is a big buzzword, mm. but you know, when it, at the end of the day, we need panels and we need batteries and, you know, obviously those things we need to IOT, you know, get, mm. get the internet of things to like connect all these things. I, I, you know, this is fundamentally, we just need more supply of generation and storage throughout the grid, right. To make that stuff happen. And so it's one of the things I appreciate about energy pal and, you know, companies like yours is that this is where the rubber hits the road. Yeah. You know, we, we, yeah. we, we, we can't do a, a large scale microgrid, you know, in a neighborhood or a block or something along those lines without many of the folks there having the hardware. Right. Yep. And and then obviously the connectivity. So um, I don't know, you want to touch a little bit on kind of the the urban combat angle. Of, yeah, of, you know, yeah. I think more gorilla get, it, get panels. I think there's a lot of there's there. a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, that they get into the space, they, you know, there's very exciting ideas of microgrid and all this stuff. And it's it's really awesome and it's really great. And I think that I, I think maybe our culture, our mentality at Energy Pal is much more pragmatic and just very much more like we just need to get people to get solar installed in their home. And those people typically tend to get batteries because it either makes sense for them or it's just easier because they have solar to help support that. And we're building that sort of infrastructure layer in an individual, you know, where the demand of energy is, the supply is as well. And where that goes from there, honestly, like maybe it is that cool microgrid and all those really great, super smart people that have all these great ideas. Sure. But you know what's stopping people from going solar? People not going solar. Like that's what's stopping the stop. The stopping of microgrid development is because people don't, there's just not enough supply. It's not consistent. It's not reliable. So for us it was like, let's just solve the root problem of like, let's just change the landscape of the power infrastructure in North America as best we can by just solving the root customer experience problem on why people, because they're not given money to do this, they're giving like rebates and this and that, but ultimately it, they have to make the decision to do it. So let's just make that decision as easy as possible, right? By giving, pulling all the options under one table, the best options, vetting, making sure that they get a good experience and just helping sort of like person by person make the switch in a way that they're not like regretting it afterwards, right? And they're so happy about how it went that they would refer because ultimately that's how this is going to happen. It's like, then yes. I go back to my one block off the grid, the grassroots campaign sort of mentality. It's like it, this, this happens when it's a grassroots level, but if one person hated their experience, it, it was sized wrong. They overpaid, they got overcharged. They, they shut off that whole, like that all their network, their whole node of people they connected to. They're the ones now spewing the negative of why they shouldn't go solar and then, you know, we're facing that roadblock. And so that's the current experience for a lot of the industry. People, a lot of people don't have a great experience, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, and then they're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have done this. And anytime I see that, I'm like, ah, it just, it, it destroys my heart that like 
the system allowed for this to happen. And so we're just, how do we just shift it a little better, right? It makes all the sense. So, you know, as the chief learning officer, I'm, I'm super curious your thoughts with regard to why the breakdowns happen. So why do, A, first question, why do homeowners decide not to go solar when it does make sense for them? I'm sure there's a lot of reasons that that happens. And then sort of the follow-up question, I mean, you, you talked about, you know, in 2015, that ads were really misleading online. You still see a lot of misleading ads online about solar, a lot of misleading information. Clean Technica, mm -hmm. we're always trying to overturn and, and get the truth out there. But there's so much misinformation out there, not just like from, you know, the, the usual suspects of people trying to confuse us around climate change and climate solutions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but also just like, the market mechanisms put in place kind of incentivize companies to do some CD things from time to time. And so there's, there's a, there's a lot going on there. So, yeah. So again, why, first question, why does a homeowner decide not to go solar when it, when it makes sense? And then B let's get to that misinformation that's out there and, and how we can kind of address that. I mean, simple, it all boils down to, in my mind, incentives, right? Like the incentives are very misaligned. So to kind of pull it back a little bit, the customers that, look into solar, start the process, and then ultimately don't go solar, even when it quote makes sense, is that they never really they never got the confidence they needed for themselves to make that decision, right? They they definitely got they got sold to, they got pitched this product, pitched that product. You know, a sales guy was telling, oh, you need to get microinverters and that's the most important thing. Another guy is saying, that's a bad idea. You should go with central inverters. And they're fed essentially multiple lines of information and it just gets very confusing. And some of the platforms that are out there on the market that like will help you get lots of quotes and you get to Camaro of your quotes, those people also don't go solar a lot of the time too because they get so confused by all the options and all these things. So I think a lot of it is just the the kind of the customer experience. Like this is, you are fundamentally, they're making a, a an investment in their property for a long-term. They may be selling their house. They're not sure how long they're going to be there. And so it's like how... It's so easy just to go, ah, I'll just stick with what I'm doing. And yeah. the, that the status quo is so easy to fall back to. True. And it, unfortunately, solar does require a little bit of info or you sign it really quickly and then you regret it afterwards because you signed, you know, at the door from some guy who was, or you didn't even realize that you signed because he just says, yeah, agree to the appointment. You click a button and that turns out to be like a 40 page contract that you, <laughs> you didn't even realize. And now you have panels up and you're like, oh my God. There's a lot of stuff that can happen. So I think ultimately it's just, it's so easy for people to fall back to not doing this when they get kind of overwhelmed. And yeah. it's so easy to get overwhelmed the moment you raise your hand being like, I want to look into solar. You might get one company, you fill out a form, you go online, right? So I'm, I'm a homeowner. I'm looking online. I'm being like, oh, how solar installers near me. I'm obviously going to click on the first couple of pages, which are all really smart marketing guys getting yes. in front of you. Yes. You click on it and then guess what happens? You put in your information and yep. it goes to three solar installers, probably, or seven. Or more. Yeah. And sometimes those solar installers will then take that information because they don't service and they'll or they'll be a solar installer that actually isn't a solar installer. They're another marketing company. They'll totally. sell your information again to another 12 people. And then now you've got literally four, like 20 companies calling you three times a day. And you're like, this is just too much. Right. Yep. So because the model, it's 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 so hard 
because people don't just go solar and they're not referring and everything, it's so hard to find people who will actually, their roof qualifies or in the right area, they're in the right orientation, they have the right credit. That sort of pool of people that it makes sense for economically is actually not as big as you would hope it to be. And so that process of selecting and finding, and then once you find somebody, it becomes so competitive that people will just give up 50% of the time, right? Because they're like, I don't know who to believe. I don't know who to trust. So I'm just going to stop. Right. And I'd rather just do nothing because people would rather do nothing than make the wrong decision. And that's just how human nature is. So Makes. that's what we're Makes. trying to combat, make it, you know, build a platform that people can trust into. Uh, but even still, you got to earn the trust. Right. For sure. And so, uh, okay. So tell me that how does Energy Pal sort of work in that ecosystem? How do you, how do you solve some of those issues that the homeowner faces and that the market mechanisms, you know, create these dynamics for? Yeah, I think that one of the big one is that, again, if you're a skilled salesperson knocking on a door, let's just start. Let's kind of go back. Level one, if you're a person who has to go to your house, like I got to go to your house and you live in Hawaii, right? And I don't live in Hawaii, but let's imagine I did. I would have to drive out. Maybe I'm on another island. I got to go to your house. I'm committing all this time. I'm investing into you. And so I'm going to be pretty, you know, that amount of time needed to get in front of you to have a good conversation. I need, I kind of need that deal, right? Like as a salesperson, I need it because I'm only getting paid if there's success, right? So that model in itself puts some extra pressure that forces the people in that space to be a little bit more aggressive than they would normally maybe need to be. Which of course, when you have three or four people being aggressive, they start taking information that is maybe, because solar can be complicated. Like there's inverters and panels and yes. ratios and degradation and financing fees. There's a lot of little elements that it can get. They may not have gotten great training, right? Because of course, so there's just, there's, a, I guess it's a lot to unpack, to be honest, <laughs> Scott, there's a lot of little components to it. But first of all, level one, we think that that in-person experience is just, you're more incentivized to be much more aggressive and ultimately turn people off by pushing and, and maybe cutting corners where, you know, on the truth to stretch the truth a little bit to convince somebody. So they sign up with you because you probably don't ever need to really see them again, right? This isn't like a, a solution. Like this isn't a monthly reoccurring subscription from a SaaS company where like, nice. if I, you give me bad service, I stop the monthly payments yep. and there's churn. Once those panels are installed, like, good luck. What are you, you going to do? You don't get a month free trial of somebody drilling holes in your roof. You don't no, want the holes are done, right? And it's not as bad as someone ripping up your bathroom, you know, and now you've got no place to go to the bathroom, but, but it right. still is a commitment, right? So, yep. you know, the, and the salespeople and the installers, everybody knows that. So it's like, if they get the deal, they win the deal, they do it. So they're just going to stress the truth more likely. That's number one. Number two is to, if you're in person or even virtual, if you only have one option to present to somebody, you're going to sell the crap out of it because that's your incentive, right? You go to AT&T store. Do you think they're going to say, Hey, you should go to T-Mobile or whatever. You know, you go into a Tesla store. They're like, you know what? Based on what I heard, you should get a Honda. Like an never. ID buzz. You should really yeah. you know, yeah. check out. You need to get that. You know, you need to get that Neo, whatever. So they'll never do that, right? So that model, they're they're heavily incentivized to push their product. And even when it's not the right fit, right? The amount of times we talk to people and they're like, you need to go with this loan or you need to go with this lease or you need to pay cash for it. And they're pushing the customer down this path. And then we're like, that customer, they're like, they're 95 years old. Their kids are not like, this is the wrong thing for them. This is like yeah. fundamentally the wrong product for this person. 
Like they should not get a solar lease with an escalator. Sometimes that's a great product. Sometimes it's a horrible product. And if all I have is that, you know, what is it? If all I had is a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So the other part of the problem is that if you're too limited on your product offerings, you're also going to most likely push people down a path that doesn't fit the right way for them, which ultimately at the end of the day, they're going to be unhappy about, they're going to regret, and they're not going to spread the word. So our model is to sort of consolidate those, make the sales incentive process better by being virtual, having lots of options, using our technology to make it easy for them to access. So as to answer your question about as a chief learning officer, so my job is to try to pull that information, insights into like guidance so that any rep at any point, they're able to know based on what this person's situation is, they're more likely going to go with this kind of a program. And because we have so many great options to choose from between five installers, 10 panels, 30 financing companies, different designs, you know, we'll have like 10,000 different solutions to best fit a plan. And then it's just their job to, to educate the right way. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So obviously for a homeowner, the paradox of choice kicks in, you know, at some point, if you, if you have just one person that are being super aggressive, you're just like, ah, you're being super aggressive. But sometimes that really works because people don't like having too many choices. The right. paradox of choice, like so if you have seven yeah. choices, it's over. Decidophobia. Uh, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, oh. haven't, haven't heard that one before. Right. But yeah. So, okay. So if you had one key takeaway that you were going to tell a homeowner considering going solar and they're kind of new to it, not that technical, what do you tell them as they begin their journey of trying to get solar for their house? These are always really hard for me because I'm so specific to the the area and the market and this and that. But oh, but generally, one key takeaway, I would say, be willing to take a little bit of time to have the conversations with a couple of people, not just the first person you talk to, not just the last person you talk to. You know, don't be static on okay, they don't show up, then they're not. You know, they're not gonna whatever or like be willing to talk to a couple of different people and do some learning you know don't just take what people say at face value that would be my best guidance overall is you know don't think this is something you're going to figure out in an hour but also it doesn't need to take you know 40 hours of analysis either you just need to have a contact with a couple of different people so that you feel comfortable obviously i would love if people came to us they talk to us they believe us enough they trust us but i understand that's not how it's going to be talk to different people and you'll see how things are different and which option you should go with and just be willing to kind of go through that process a bit, but it's worth it. It's like, you know, I always put things into perspective. It may take someone actually like five hours of their life to like, look into this starting scheduling, meeting this guy, meeting this person, thinking about it. It's going to take like five hours of your time, but there's like hundreds of thousands of dollars of savings for that five hour investment. Like it's a pretty good use of your time. Yeah. But you but but if you come in thinking like you're this is just gonna happen quickly and you want a solution, you're probably just gonna get sold to by the first person that you talk to because they're really well, they're generally well trained and they know, you know, we've been doing this for 10 years now. So we know, you know, they know the buttons to press to kind of get you to get mobilized. So, you know, just be aware that, you know, they're they have an incentive to sell you and you just need to make sure you're gonna work with a company that's gonna be there to support support you through the process. Not just, you know, say yes up front. That's all. That's good advice. Uh, you know, it's it's like 
any major decision, whether it's a car or a house or something. You know, if you're, if but you're a car is actually less major because a car, you can sell the car, right? Like you don't like the car, you can return it. That's that's true. You're, right? You're you don't right. like the panels. Well, what are you going to do? You know, like yep. the holes are drilled. The damage is done, right? The, the so so is... take more time to think about solar than you do to think about a car, which that that's, you know, everybody, you know, most people have at some point in their life bought a car. And yep. so, yep. you know, it, it's this is a good frame of reference for them. You know, how much time do I think you people spend? go probably spend too much time thinking about their car because of, you know, the car. But but yeah, I agree. I think, you know, it's it's one of those things where you can't easily undo the decision. So it's worth right. taking the time to like feel really comfortable with it. And if someone's putting extra pressure on you, like their job is to put some pressure. So like expect a little bit of like, hey, let's move forward. Let's progress things. Let's go to the next stage. But yep. if they're like, if you don't sign tonight, you're not going to get this deal. Like that, there's just, you know, for us, that's just not what we do. We're not going to put this like fake time commitment. Like it's pretty obvious that people should be going solar and we can explain it. But that tactic isn't needed. And for us, we just think that, you know, it, it's more likely they're hiding behind that urgency pressure than with a poor product and a bad price to get you committed so that you don't look around anymore. Because it can be big ranges, right? Like, again, one of the issues that we have is people go, well, why don't I just go to the, directly to the companies that do the installation? Because we're not an installer, right? We're like a service. We right. work with installers, but the installers pay us a finder's fee when we secure an installed project. So why wouldn't I go to the company directly, right? Like, I'll get a better deal. Usually, that's actually not always the case because they have the same problem of talking to the homeowner. Like, there's one person, they're talking to five people. They're only going to go solar once with one of them, maybe, right? So we find just the way we're operating and the way we work, we can kind of slide in at a lower cost basis than most of what you would get if you weren't. And sometimes it can be really pretty dramatically different price for the same kind of equipment between installers. And obviously Energy Pal has relationships with the installers and the technology and the hardware and all this kind of stuff yeah. that you've developed yeah. over years. And you, yeah. you have a sense of what works, what doesn't, who's right. a good contractor, who's not. Right. That sort of thing. So it's, you know, it, there's a, there's a little bit of a third party layer of sort of consulting on on some level for a homeowner to go to Energy Pal rather than go. Yeah, and it's not always to... perfect. Listen, there's like there this I told you about this California thing and I'll and I'll and I'm happy to share. I mean, it's it's there's are companies that have, you know, blown up sort of in the crazy growth that happened in that net metering 2.0 rush. Yep. Did lots of installs, but then they're they were not really ready for that next stage. And, you know, we've experienced there's lots of customers and it's going to, you know, we're going to start seeing more of the fallout probably in the next six to nine months as projects have been delayed, things get pulled back, things don't get installed and installers that went out of business, right? So for us though, like we're going to work as best as we can to just to maneuver. And if those things happen, move people from one installer to another, transfer net metering agreements and just make it whole. And I'd say we're very good at managing that kind of situation. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's challenging uh, situation, basically. Yeah. Right on. Well, Marcus, thanks so much for joining us today on on Clean Tech Talk. I love home solar. It's it's a great topic, and uh, I really appreciate the work you do. Obviously, it's a, it's a big part of our climate solution. I think um, you mentioned a little bit in an email earlier that solar is going to overtake hydro in terms of actual production of renewables in the United States in 2024. At some point, we're going to see more solar mm -hmm. being produced than hydropower for the first time ever. 
and yeah. that's that's really exciting. So it's a it's a cool, cool industry. I mean, a, a lot of that's utility, you know, of big course. big scale. Of course. But you know, yeah. our focus is like, is the Adult. residential. You know, I want to make it so that people, when you know, even if they don't believe in climate change or they don't believe in you know solar, which is a confusing statement, but we've you know we've seen it. I don't believe in solar. It's like okay, that's kind of interesting. Like the sun shows, shines and produces <laughs> electricity. It's a complicated, you know, thing, but. You know, it's like when panels are on someone's house, it forces everybody to deal with it. You got to see it. You got to like talk about it. You got to, you know, I have kids. I have to, have to they, they say, what are those things? Why is there glass on the roof? You're like, you have to address it. It forces you to, to do it. I think that's where there's a lot of power in the residential space to, to make this shift to a more climate first, you know, positive impact on climate kind of movement, right? Because it's not just in the background, right? It's not just like a big farm, solar farm somewhere else but it's literally right in your face where you have to like make that decision. Like, yeah, I'm not, you know, I'm not recycling, but it, this guy's here. It, it sort of just forces people to deal with their own like hypocrisy sometimes. So, yeah, for sure. And also, yeah. you know, it's, it's a nice educational point for the general public yeah. that these technologies work. You know, yeah. if somebody sees your, your, you know, your neighbor sees your house is being powered entirely. They're probably not all crazy. Right. Exactly. Right? Exactly. It's that just might like be, the, but not all of yeah. them. Yeah. It's yeah. it's people needed to see other people driving an EV. You know, there's there's right. first adopters, there's second adopters, there's yeah. the whole adoption curve. So solar is yeah. kind of the same, but you know, seeing the panels, it it makes a difference for everybody. Yeah. So yeah. And what's interesting for us, because we're in the different markets, is that you start, you know, different states are at different points of that, uh, you know, in the early adopters. Some are still there. Some are, you know, there were they're still in the like, what happens if it snows and how you know does it really work and you know what i mean they're in that stage and others are like in california just like hyper you know they, they're this is their third house they've had solar you know they have batteries they know they know what it's about so it's it's interesting as well seeing the just like the overall market awareness depending on the area so that's awesome all right well where where do people go to find out about your services energypal.com that's it yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks for thanks for being on the show today. And yeah, I look forward to seeing your continued success. Thanks for having us. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks.